Hello, we are on Resistance Radio. This is Jay. And this is Bobby. We're a radio collective out of Los Angeles determined to empower revolt against all forms of oppression. We are focusing today's topic on general preparedness, as it has come up in many of our discussions. Due to the environment we have built through white supremacist colonialism and capitalism, people have developed skills to combat systemic exploitation, but oftentimes are deprived of resources or are attacked when a crisis may happen, whether it's a natural disaster or a state-manufactured crisis or attack. Communities of color have been surviving and often have skills beyond that of the capitalist or police, but are actively pursued by a narrative of racism and poverty that criminalizes. So what does preparedness mean when you're already under attack? And what do we need to be prepared for? In some ways, I feel like being poor prepares you for both natural and structural attacks. When you're poor, you have to learn how to fend for yourself. The government is, you know, usually not there to care for you. Um, as we saw in Katrina with communities that were poor and black, when it comes down to it, the government will not be there to help aid you. Living without running water or power because DWP turned it off, you learn very quickly how to flush the toilet, <laughs> you know. Um, but when it comes to buying things or even to use Katrina as an example, being able to leave if a natural disaster is going to happen. If you're getting hurricane warnings or flood warnings. Like, who has the ability to drive and leave and pay for housing somewhere else? So I think when it comes to being able to have resources for protection, it really is usually a convenience of the wealthy. And I think when it comes to things we need to prepare for, Again, I think it's going to be both just the overall state's fascism um, and the increasing police state, which we've seen happen in places like Ferguson, Baltimore, or even Boston um, after the bombing. And then also just natural disasters, specifically here in California with earthquakes or drought. Yeah, I feel like when we hear about a catastrophe, Hollywood movies and protocol tells us that we have to trust the state and its organizations like the Red Cross to address the situation, allocate resources. But there are actually many examples of the state not just failing communities of color and poor communities, but the state has actually been historically responsible for terror and attacking and deadly racism, either directly or by selectively not intervening against other uh, white supremacist elements or it's just by non-intervening in a catastrophe has allowed for people to die and been responsible for kind of like mass suffering. Um, so some examples I have are the criminalization of uh, young Latino groups as a continuation of uh, Western colonization, kind of like the creation of um, anti-gang task forces as a way of kind of containing youth organizing the the history of like how gang injunctions have evolved another example is like the bombing of the group move which we've talked about a lot um which was you know the state and the police were responsible for attacking this all black autonomous group but also compounded the issue by choosing not to deploy the fire department to contain the fire and instead deliberately burning an entire black community of homes so it's it's not just that the state's responsible, it's that there are these resources like the fire department or like the Red Cross, but they can be restricted. They can be selectively not deployed in order to make the actual cost of life more. And the state has been responsible for that. So if you're already being attacked by the state, 
are we going to be able to trust the state to intervene when it has selectively not intervened? And the state has tools and institutions at its disposal to criminalize. So when a natural disaster happens and people panic, you know, the prisons fill up. Um, the state uses the prison as a means of addressing the crisis. The state also criminalizes survival because in times of a natural disaster, I mean, to even question the idea that people are going to go to supermarkets and take whatever resources they need to take and then therefore blame and criminalize the people for doing that is just, again, the state profiting, right, because um, criminalization is the way the state profits off their neglect to be able to prepare for these people in the first place. When we think about being able to collect and store water, which is something that the state also has made illegal, does the state even really want people to be able to prepare? Or do they only want certain people to be able to prepare? Because we've also seen how the state will use situations like these to gentrify communities and displace communities of color, specifically black, a lot of the times the state will use natural disasters or unrest in society to their benefit to further increase their police state and also criminalization of the community. This means, I think, that we have to be prepared not just for whatever event may naturally or um, from the state cause a panic. So I think panic is what they especially profit off of and try to control and they like use images of people panicking to justify brutality against them. But we have to prepare for the institutions of force themselves um, separately. So we have to prepare for what FEMA is going to do and what the National Guard is going to do and the kind of state of emergency protocol that they use to actually escalate against poor communities. And then I think it's interesting with the, the whole like imagery of a riot and people going door to door and getting resources that they need to survive. When white people are in a panic and go door to door using resources to self-organize, it's considered innovative or resourceful or a community response. But when um, but racism and anti-blackness and social hierarchies are, I think, magnified by conflict and crisis. Uh, so the state will actually use that to lock down non-white areas and kind of tends to consider those areas security threats because the first consideration of the state is quote-unquote critical infrastructure. And that's not to the survival of people. That's the banks, the wealthy, the financial districts that are not systemically targeted communities likely to actually suffer loss of life in the event of a catastrophe. The security threat is is not to the people's survival, but to the property-owning white upper classes and corporate business elite that aren't really threatened to begin with. I mean, if anything happens to any of their property they end up making a profit because of the insurance in any ways. You also see police abuse during times of crisis. And, you know, people have given accounts in Katrina about how people were murdered by police, people were assaulted by the police, were raped by the police. And it kind of creates a time of what the state would use of, like, lawlessness, but lawlessness for the state is the only that is, like, sanctioned and given because of, like, you know, the chaos and the unruliness of the people, that situation which they've created. Yeah, that makes, like, a lot of sense that, like, the people trying to self-organize looks like lawlessness to the state because they've lost control of the resources and people are actually getting those resources themselves or um, making communal agreements on what actually their community needs in that moment and not waiting for the state to, like, have a press conference that decides to trickle down resources, which it rarely ever does. But I was thinking about, um, about like, basic things like water access or electricity or stuff like 
quick crisis policy changes that happen. Like, oh, we're in a crisis, so now automatically this is happening and the state will, like, make an edict and it'll happen. Um, And I feel like preparedness is also about learning who not to trust. Coming from a healthy place of distrust of these institutions because if you're – it's very easy for preparedness to kind of become, like, reliance on the state resources or – when really it can be like a transition away towards like community self-reliance and self-education projects or training and learning certain skills and not relying on the state models, like learning what those state models are because they actually are more likely to work against you than to work for you. I think that's the importance of autonomous communities, building them before situations happen so that structure is already there, whether it be autonomous communities geographically or just um, through affinity. When we talk about preparedness, there is some sort of like privilege to being able to have the time to prepare and the resources to prepare. There will be different degrees in which people can do so, I think. Um, and some, I think time, sometimes people are preparing without. I do also think there is this fear of preparedness. Um, specifically, if you talk about preparing against a more hammering of a police state and a lockdown in your city. Like, that's things people don't like to think about. Californians and L.A. people don't like to think about earthquakes. So these are things that I think we try to avoid thinking about because we don't want to believe it's the inevitable. I've been thinking about what preparedness models might look like and how they can help us transition from a place of constant defense where we're reacting to either bad policy change or um, so-called reform narratives or the whims of, of these representatives just placing so much energy in trying to reduce the harm that is currently structured, which leaves very little energy towards exploring preparedness. So I've just been kind of trying to reimagine that shift and how preparedness can help us make that shift and maybe even work on that fear of like taking a threat seriously, a threat from the state seriously enough to actually emotionally, mentally and materially prepare ourselves you're going to continue to do intentional resistance work about having an offensive plan in your affinity group, in your community. And so it's very important. I think it looks like everything from the micro level of just securing your computer and protecting it and learning how to quickly erase things from your computer and wipe out your hard drive to everything from having a bug out bag. Just a micro example would be like preparedness in a riot situation where police have escalated or caused a panic, people are running, and just kind of talking with the people that you're most likely to be around should something occur about, like, I, f- I mean, even just talking about it first, I feel like if it should happen, there would be less, like, surprise and less, like, uncertainty and less, uh, more self-confidence that, like, you can get through something together with people. So creating plans for specific situations that you anticipate so that when those situations arise, you might feel better able to make quick decisions. And I think that preparedness can is, is a practice, um, is getting into a practice, not like a destination. Like when I have this many of this and that, then I'm prepared. I feel like we don't have that luxury. <laughs> we have to constantly be adapting and learning from how the state co-ops us and you know, as we're learning preparedness, the state is watching us learn preparedness and accounting for those things. So like for me, like where can we start? Um, I've been I've been thinking a lot about lists and I've kind of adjusted myself from the idea of like a time limit 
for those lists. It's just getting in the practice of making lists of information that I need to acquire, materials that might be needed for communal survival, either where I could get those materials in a crisis or how I could develop them myself out of limited uh, resources. Um, And then like stuff like defense strategies, skills, um, and practicing different contingency plans. A kind of side note, like I grew up religious and the church I was part of, um, I was Mormon, had an emergency preparedness program. So, I mean, since I've had a lot of time to think about how church is, is like a, in my opinion, a practice of community, but it goes wrong because most churches, especially Christianity, which Mormon is a white Christian based religion, um, is organized to benefit hierarchy, patriarchy, um, and white supremacy. So, in my opinion, um, you know, it's an example of community that's that's manipulated. But in by looking at it this way, I've been able to see, take like what good can come from that model, and like see how it can be adapted towards resistance and to actually combat white supremacy. So you know, they had like three to five year plans with monthly goals to help build up capacity for food storage to sustain a family for a certain amount of months or years. Um, And so I, like, really want to get a hold of all those things and kind of see what I can (laughs) co-opt from those (laughs) programs, right, to create programs that are actually more holistic um, and and focus on resistance. So in addition to resource and food storage, they even, like, ran drills between households. And so they would have, like, they would have, like, a house that was, like, the house in crisis and they would put out, like, a red flag. And then there would be, like, another house. Like, yeah, this is so interesting, right? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> that had, like, white flags and they were okay. And so, like, they created ways of communicating between different spaces. So there's, like, a network. And then I don't even know what they what their, what their um, contingency plans were to do if something was wrong. I've been thinking about, like, looking at those kind of resources. And then, because, uh, unfortunately, all those alternative resources, they're, like, to serve the state or to serve the church or to serve the structure. So how can we take those and learn from them and then use them to serve the resistance and survival? That's the thing, too, because white people are prepared. You know, they're doing, like, the coupon challenges, and so they have a whole basement full of, like, a grocery store, Mm -hmm. you know, and they have their weapons and their stockpile. Like, they are totally prepared for any case scenario. They are preparing for Obama to put them in FEMA camps or for a hurricane to happen. They're just... They have the money and the resources, and the state allows them to be able to have certain resources like weapons to be able to prepare for any sort of situation. So another thing I worry about is how the people with the resources are going to treat and abuse the people who don't have the resources. And we're already seeing white militias rolling around in times of black uprising. So what would the situation look like given a state takeover or some sort of natural disaster? When I go to actions, how I kind of do my own preparedness, I make sure I don't have anything on me that I wouldn't want to be arrested with. If I have to work, I make sure someone has my work number to tell them. I usually make sure I have comfortable underwear and I'm wearing comfortable clothes that if I'm going to be arrested in jail for a while, that like at least I'll be somewhat comfortable. And so I guess there's lots of ways in which we do it in the micro, which I'm sure would like make the macro less intimidating. You may not be able to purchase everything for your bug out bag now, but maybe just get a backpack or just get a flashlight or the list of what you need for the bag and start to slowly build these things. Everyone always says, like, when you talk about collecting water rules, like, well, it's illegal to collect water, but at the same time, the state is giving out free rain barrels to rich liberals. When it comes down to it, rich people are going to be fine. 
Um, majority of white people are going to be fine. It's going to be non-white people who are going to have to like, fight and search and really collectivize for our safety and survival. I feel like a lot of things that allowed for Katrina to cause so much harm, none of that has been fixed. And why hasn't that been fixed? Why is it that some communities' buildings still haven't been redone or earthquake-proof? Because they're not cared about. Because if those people die, the state and white supremacy doesn't care if you die. Because you free up land and you free up resources. And right now you're just taking up their space. And it's such a contradiction, like, like you were saying, the mayor just announced, like, this new... Did you see, like, the... It's called, like storm something and Mm -hmm. it's a water storage system that is like pretty large like this large so like they were releasing rain barrels last year they like give 100 away for free and they have a rebate program and then now they have like operation i'm just going to call it operation storm catcher (laughs) because it's it's called like a storm catcher system and the mayor just unveiled it and uh, you know who has like the space for like a huge thing first of all like very uh, few people of color have access to like yards and land and but also, there's a disconnect between, like, the federal government and, like, the states. The states are like, oh, you know, save water. And the federal government is, like, seizing people. Like, if you get too effective at it, basically. If, if it actually serves a purpose, like, they'll come and raid you. So, like, part of me is, like, they're being so open about us saving water. Like, are they going to seize it, you know, if they need it? Because usually they have such an issue with us interrupting, like, their rain-catching systems because the city has a rain-catching system. The city, um, I actually learned this from my dad, like, because my dad um, has some land and has a has a well, but the well's dry. And um, he said that all the wells went dry when the city dug their well. So actually, like, the water crisis, you know, people not having access to water is because the city's taking all the water yeah. and just mismanaging it. All the wells went dry in the area, and they dry, they dug, like, I don't even know, the, the biggest well that is in that area, basically. So it's just, like, really weird that there's contradicting narratives about water storage. There's, like, the threat of being raided, and then there's, like, the PR campaigns of, like, the city politics. There's a need for alternative resources that aren't to the benefit of the state or white supremacy. Like, I was even thinking of, like, the ones that do exist, like, JROTC or, like, Boy Scouts and mm-hmm. stuff, and how, like... You know, they're organized for, like, white male supremacy, basically, and it teaches skills, but in, like, a very limited framework, like, designed to support the state and capitalism. Just, like, how do we create alternative institutions? And I think about, like, the People's Medics in Oakland, which we've talked about before, which are, like, teaching themselves, like, gunshot, how to deal with gunshots, you know? And, like, just, like, really, really important work like that, that is specialized labor that, like, sometimes we don't even touch because it's scary or we have fear but, like, you know, people have to do because they care about their community survival. It's like, how would you deal with a gunshot? It makes sense that in Oakland they're, they're dealing with it because it's something immediate in their community. When it becomes a necessity, people will figure it out. I've talked to my parents about what's our earthquake plan, and they were like, if anything, because ha- we're all in different places, um, and they said everyone just calls one of my aunts who lives in another state. And so that way, if each person when they get the opportunity to be able to call, can just check in with this one person not affected by the earthquake. Then each person calls will know someone is okay or that, like, everyone is okay without necessarily having to get, like, a hold of everyone. That's a good idea to have, like, multiple people check in with one person that's unaffected by the situation because I feel like that would just save so much heartache and panic and worry. 
I mean, you're probably still worried about your family and like mm-hmm. what a, your community like should something really frightening happen. But like if you can't get a hold of them, you know, there's already a plan in place. That seems key. Kind of reminds me of like on the micro level at actions, like having someone to check in with uh, like or, like the buddy system. Like everyone has one person that like, like if you go in a large group. Sometimes it's hard to track down everyone in a large group, but if everyone is, like, checking in with one other person, mm-hmm. then, like, you can check in and, like, find out where people are missing or what might have happened. Um, that's been helpful. I think, like, yeah, just finding, like, new ways of communicating with each other um, should something go down. And, like, um, I've been thinking about, like, finding uh, ways to use mapping creatively and, like, maybe making our own maps. Um, And then, like, things like, you know, just practicing more intentional security culture, like writing more ideas down and practicing planning things without talking out loud um, because of just, like, crisis, but also, like, surveillance. It doesn't Mm -hmm. go away. Like, the crisis isn't in, like, technology for the state. Like, no. (laughs) Like, the crisis is over here and the state will just fly over with their technology and they're fine. They're completely unaffected. Um, unless we have an alien invasion, yeah. you know, and like they wipe out all the tech, but that'd be interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we got to think about the state and like also like the military, which is like the scary, one of the scariest things to me, like the military and like um, the white supremacist, like faction extremists, should they choose to opportunize off of a crisis. Um, and they mix. And they and they are they're, they're, they're the same like you know the military and them, they all overlap, definitely in terms of preparedness. Like they do have the stockpiles and they do have the weapons and that's why like the, this is a side note but like the gun, the gun control debate is like a non-debate because who are you talking about disarming? Who's already disarmed? Like mass incarceration is like because of disarmament of black and brown communities. Yeah. So it's like. What what people don't want to talk about, what they're really saying, is that there's all these mass shootings and we need to disarm white men. But no one wants to say that. Yeah. And they will never disarm white men. Right! No, this this, this country is armed white men. Yeah. That's what it is. This has been a long conversation coming, preparedness, because I feel like it's like a through line through everything. Oh, I just wanted to say, I feel like the thing I've kind of noticed about security culture, which I feel like goes with preparedness, the basic utilities are important. Like, so older phones having a radio, batteries, um, the things that now because of technology seem obsolete or actually things that are going to be important when something happens. Um, and they're also just security culture-wise, more safer thing to use. So um, having, like, a burner phone, having flashlights, or even candles, like, that sort of pre-2000s. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Pre-Y2K. When yeah. You were, when you were preparing for Y2K. Um, those sort of accessories, I think, are going to be really important. And you probably can find most of the stuff in an instant store, too. Thank you so much for listening with us to On Resistance Radio. Um, we are on the airwaves every Friday at 90.7 KPFK, except for the first Friday of the month. You can find our past shows and our full show content usually on soundcloud.com 
www.soundcloud.com slash on dash resistance. And you can check us out on Facebook or send us an email at onresistanceradio at gmail.com. We're about to play a song by Michu MC. It's called La Funcion. Si licites porque este tema ya cumple su función. <risa> <risa> 